Welcome to the Millennial Balkan, a pop culture podcast by three geek millennials. My name is Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York, and I'm joined by only one of my co-hosts today. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Anya could not join us this week. She had some personal issues she'd like to attend to. Um, so we're going to be talking about, it's our. It's the end of the month, it's, it's the end of February, and we're doing the Birds of Prey review for our monthly movie millennial review. Millennial monthly movie review. There's a lot of M's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Boids of Prey and the emancipation, the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Is that your attempt at a Brooklyn accent? It's my attempt at a Harley Quinn accent. Yeah. Her accent is a is a, a genre unto its own. It's not even the, just the Brooklyn accent. It's like, it's right. Harley Quinn. It's one of those ones where you have to like start off saying something like, Mr. J, Boyds of Prey, and then you just sort of bat, Batman, Bruce Wayne, you just got to do that. It's and almost as great as of... all the accents in Uncut Gems, which you have not seen yet, but it's also a great accent movie. I... I have not because I do not want to be anxious and have to wear a mouth guard during a film. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine, Willoughby. It's only really one scene where you're like having an anxiety attack, but everything else is only like mild fun. anxiety. <laughs> fun. Sounds fun. It is fun. It's a great movie. Uh, every review, a lot of the reviews that af- after that movie have been, people are like, oh, I got to take a Xanax. <laughs> Jesus, I don't... What's happening? So, yeah, anyway, we're going to be talking about the latest DCEU film, uh, which stars Harley Quinn, or I guess it stars Mario Robbie as Harley Quinn, um, as she uh, endeavors to um, uh, go through a breakup with the Joker, and shenanigans ensue as villains, diamonds, characters of fun origins i don't know what am i trying to say there's a lot of fun characters in this movie uh we're gonna go, we're gonna talk about them we're gonna talk about the plot we're gonna talk about the themes yeah so birds of prey is directed by kathy uh yan and written by christina hodson and in addition to margot robbie stars uh mary elizabeth winstead uh journey Spollett, uh, journey Smollett bell Smollett bell um rosie perez and uh ella j basco and as well as ian mcgregor and um chris messina so it's a quite a stacked cast and uh yes like you said it follows harley quinn as she coops from her breakup with the joker and decides to strike out on her own and uh she ends up butting heads with the uh crime lord in gotham black mask played by ian mcgregor yeah, hey HT. Before we go any further, uh, do you know uh, that c- the actress that plays Cassandra Kane is Dante Basco's niece? I did know that. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun little fact. Yeah, she's half Filipino, half Korean. So that's really cool. Because at the Birds of Prey uh, London premiere, she was wearing a little hanbok, which is a, a traditional Korean um, outfit, like dress. And I was like, oh, isn't she half Filipino? Because she's like Dante Vasco's uh, niece. But uh, no, it's because she's half Filipino, half Korean. So fun fact as well. So what are your thoughts on the Birds of Prey? I really liked it. Um, I saw it early. If you guys remember talking me talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I got to see it about a week before it hit theaters, and um, I went to London to watch it. Um, and uh, I was really kind of blown away by how much I enjoyed this movie. It's raucous, it's fun, it's violent, and it's uh, just like this whirlwind of um, chaotic, uh, gratuitous, excellent feminine power. But it's not overly... It's not burdened with the the, um, sort of feminist representation that it pushes forward it's something that just like is having fun with uh its standalone story about harley quinn about her emancipation so to speak and uh it's so casual about it and it's it's so um so easy going about it that it just makes it such a fun uh movie to watch and uh it also has some of the best action sequences i have ever seen in a superhero movie uh with a touch of john wick to it which uh explain which is explained partially by the fact that um chad Chad 
Stahelski, uh, the director of the John Wick movies, uh, came in as a second unit director to help direct the action sequences during the reshoot. So it really has that really kinetic tactile feeling to it and that bone crunching glee. So it's just it's such a fun movie and I really enjoyed it. Uh, just um, and I love that the past DC EU movies are just having so much fun with tone and um, not really bothering with the the gritty um, sort of. Uh, mantra that the Batman v Superman Zack Snyder movies set forward for this universe it's just kind of doing their own thing and I really love that they're doing that what about you Willoughby what did you think of Birds of Prey I liked it a lot um and I I think that like the style of the film I think is its biggest strength um and really and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is probably yeah that's the that's the biggest strength of the film is that her performance sort of um propels the 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 rest of the film to new heights that I think if uh, like if there was an actress who was who is not as good as Margot Robbie playing this role I don't think the film would be as good even though the action is 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 crazy and immense is and amazing and like incredible to watch and definitely like 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 that Chad Stahelski like uh and like uh feeling is definitely there the the police station sequence sequence in particular is like amazing um as well as the final climactic scene as yeah, well in the fun um, house yeah the fun house scene is, is incredible um we'll talk about that more later on and I think that and like all the all the actresses who play the birds of prey are great and everything is so good. And I'm I'm very excited to see the DCEU do something that is not the grim, gritty Zack Snyder films that we sort of were really worried that that this was going to that was going to be the tone because they are they were really setting the tone for the for the the this universe with, mm-hmm. with its like gritty, realistic take on superheroes. What if Superman was real? How would the government react to that? How would a Batman react to that? Like this sort of like anti superhero superhero films that we like we've talked about we've we've talked about our past grievances with the DCEU films you can go back and listen to that um but it's funny because like all the past DCEU films have really bucked that um tonal expectation because you have Aquaman which is just the Shakespearean mm-hmm. camp and then you have Shazam which is just such big hearted fun in two ways <laughs> in more than one way and um and you have birds of prey now which is just like john wick put through a funhouse mirror yeah and it's sort of interesting because when we saw suicide squad which does star margot robbie as harley quinn with i think all, uh, the all the trailers made it seem like this that was this was going to be like the fun guardians of the galaxy version of the dceq they're not taking themselves seriously it's going to crack jokes it's going to be colorful you know it's going to be you know joker aside it's going to be like exciting to watch and then the movie sort of was dog shit Mm -hmm. um and so and you could really tell that they had like they mixed the like it was it was so atonal you really didn't know like if the next scene was going to be like a drama or just like a fun house mirror like joker harley scene or something like that movie is sort of this weird looking back on it now four years later you can sort of see the bones of the of the dc eu trying to expand the 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 tones of each of the films um in a post Zack snyder like way in a way even though at the time Zack snyder was still making the two justice league movies and he was going to be you know executive producer on all these movies and now it seems like They've definitely, like, with Wonder Woman and, you know, Aquaman, Shazam, and now Birds of Prey, you really see, and even in some cases, the Justice League uh, cut, uh, uh, Justice League movie that came out in 2017, they really are moving away from the grim and grittiness. and they yeah. are really start, starting to play in the field of actual actually being a comic book. And not to say that they're trying to mimic Marvel because Marvel does have their own formula down and their and the way and their like style of jokes and everything. But DC is really trying. DC is really director forward and writer forward. Where like they really don't care. At least right now, they're not caring too much about you know building up towards a like dark side level plot or something. It's just sort of like 
Birds of Prey is just the girls having fun. Aquaman is is water anime. Like there, there is so much going. <laughs> I've never on heard in that comparison, but that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's definitely. Um, Shazam is like a fun coming of age film. We talked about it last year. They're really trying to do their own thing, and we're gonna get Wonder Woman 1984 in June. So we're gonna like that's gonna and that looks like full of like fun 80s uh pop cult pop references with the mall and everything like there's sort of a tone there that um that's very much like in the uh, like a nostalgic thing <clears throat> so i think this is all to say that i think birds of prey is doing the right thing here which is sort of like telling its own story and sort of its own in its own way um and that i really had a fun time with it mm-hmm. i think that it it uh the plot sort of thin and you know sort of nothing too complicated but i think also with superhero movies it doesn't always have to be saving the world like this is saving uh one girl from black mask like Mm -hmm. i think that it's you know fun to have these smaller stories being told in the larger comic book universe like we've seen this like the ant-man movies in marvel are sort of like fun little like uh, you know, like smaller budget movies, smaller stories, <laughs> small because of ants, but smaller stories are being told. And I, and like you could do that in a larger universe. And I think the DC is starting to uh, spread their wings and fly in that direction. Yeah. Um, and speaking of what you were saying earlier about Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey is the movie that Suicide Squad wanted to be in all of its tongue in cheek, like referential, uh, fun, bombastic way. Um, but like you were saying before, too, about Marvel, the, the Birds of Prey is funny and it is having fun, but it's not the same kind of humor that we see in Marvel, which, again, follows very much follows a formula. Uh, Birds of Prey feels chaotic and auteur driven and weird and ambitious and audacious in a way that Marvel movies can't be. And uh, I really enjoy that it's doing that, especially because, you know, it's a rated R film. And despite there being really um, over-the-top violence at some points, it never feels gratuitous in a way that I feel like it's trying to be violent for violence for, like, violence sake, you know. And, um, like, you, I, I agree, too, that the plot for Birds of Prey is the weakest point. I think that the it's pretty clear that the a lot of the plot was either shaved down or changed during the reshoots, which um, were reported to be like kind of a chaos, a chaotic mess. But I think all the chaos that went into making Birds of Prey and the chaotic structure that it has makes it feels all very intentional, especially in the, the POV that we live in, in uh, Harley Quinn's world, because it's very much Harley's movie, despite it being called Birds of Prey. It's a, it's a movie told from her perspective and told from her unreliable perspective as well, which I really enjoyed. I remember they were comparing it to like Rashomon with all the different um, versions of the story that are being told. And it's a really highbrow way of describing it, but it is kind of accurate. Yeah, Ra- I would say like not super much because I feel like Rashomon is a very specific, like the same story told from three different pr- points of view. Mm-hmm. But we're really just getting Harley's point of view and then like, three different storylines that eventually converge mm-hmm. on the the diamond story but I, yeah that's it's a, it's a generous uh uh view of the film i'd say yeah for sure it is very much like a popcorn thriller but i think it embraces being so and nothing really is wrong with being a popcorn thriller we have um I mean, for some example, Parasite is very much a popcorn blockbuster, but it has so much to dig underneath the surface, um, and it won a, be- a Best Picture at the Oscars for that. Um, Birds of Prey, there's not really much under the surface, but you can still have fun with it, and that's what's so great. And I do like a lot of the sort of casual um, feminist touches and like female-driven touches of the film, which I think uh, very much make it clear that this is a female team behind it without feeling that they're trying to prove something. Um, so it's much, it feels much more authentic than like the empty, uh, feminist pieces that we've seen sometimes in like Captain Marvel, for example, uh, which I, which are, or the Charlie's Angels movies, which, you know, work in some cases, but often fall, feel a little empty for me. But Birds of Prey feels so feminine and fun and flawed in all of those aspects of womanhood. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to 
being a woman because I'm not mm-hmm. and like the the female experience, but I definitely feel the the like it definitely feels different than like if a man uh, wrote and direct like if if men uh, were in charge of this movie, I don't think it would be the same film. Mm-hmm. It would be like the it would just not be good. It would be the the male gaze would be all over it. Um, Harley would still be wearing the outfit that she wore in Suicide Squad and just sort of like it would all be just not it would not feel good it would feel very bad um and yeah I really I really appreciated like the fact that there was a female director and writer and that Margot Robbie seems very much in charge of this movie and like it's very much I mean like the only like yeah like it it's it was very uh exciting to see this movie um and yeah like it's different than like that one scene in Endgame, where all the all the women in the mm-hmm. MCU sort of like join up at, and randomly. Yeah, I really uh, just like that scene. <laughs> I know you do. So I wanted to be like, I think this movie does that seamlessly in yeah. such a way that we're like, it's not drawing attention to itself, but by the mere fact of it being, a, by the mere fact of it existing as a film, is drawing attention to itself, but not doing. So in a self-aggrandizing way, mm. does that make sense? Yeah, that totally like it's makes sort sense. of just it's pre- just presenting itself as like this is the Birds of Prey film with Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. um, and but it's also got like it, it doesn't it doesn't like it, it doesn't do the strong female character stereotype of like can these women be replaced with a lamp mm-hmm. and the plot move forward like every single woman in this movie has character agency and plot function so yeah. I think that it's it's exciting to watch something like this. Yeah. Especially because, like, there's going to be a bunch of little girls who are going to go see this movie. I mean, probably. are they going to, though? Because it's radar and it's very violent. Well, they're, they're going to take their, their older sisters or their parents who are super cool are going to take them to see this movie and they're going to have, like, a fun time and they're going to go back to their to their schools and their, their friends and they're going to be like, let's pretend to be the birds of prey. It's going to be fun. Let's uh, peel each other's faces off while we're at it, too. <laughs> Um, oh, but let's let's oh, move on boy. to the uh, the plots, character, and themes of this movie. Uh, we touched a little on the pl- on the themes, but let's go into the plot, which I think we agree with. We agree with each other is the weakest part of this movie. I think that so. The- there's a diamond. There's a diamond with like a barcode inside of it, and inside of it holds all of Gotham's cash, mob money. Anyway, it's a MacGuffin of all MacGuffins. Of like, it's a diamond that also has like serial codes, and that will give you like control enough money to like buy every cop in Gotham. It basically means if you have the diamond, you're in charge of the Gotham underworld. And Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor, is after the diamond, and Cass- uh, Cassie Kane steals it because she's a pickpocket. And meanwhile, Harley Quinn is breaking. Has been broken up by the Joker. And so she's trying to put her life back together and sort of, and Huntress is there. She's trying to get revenge on the people who kill her family for the diamond. Um, and Black Canary is a singer at the club for Ewan McGregor. And so the plot sort of converges all on the diamond and Cassie Kane. And that's sort of the plot, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a very simple sort of, plot. Like the way that people all are involved with it are a little bit complicated, but the way that it all converges is just basically everyone wants the diamond or and or to protect Cassie and or to stop her her people from cutting her stomach open. Um yeah. yeah. And uh it is very much like the MacGuffin of all MacGuffin plots. And um I I do think that um it feels very obvious that Huntress's storyline is kind of uh, sl- like slotted into it conveniently at the end because she doesn't really c- appear in this in the film until like the last half of the movie, and even then she's kind of tangentially related to everything that's going on. I feel like the there was like some talk about what was actually in the diamond and like what was going to uh, appear in it while the film was being made, and um, I feel like her whole plot with the bird. Bertolini, Bertolini's um, and um, her seeking vengeance were kind of uh, written into the uh, plot with the diamond so that she would be more involved with it. So it feels very clear, like clearly that's the case. But I, <laughs> Elizabeth Winston is so good in the role. 
that uh, it doesn't really matter. And the way that the film tells a story, like we were saying before, with this chaotic, unreliable structure uh, in which Harley Quinn starts to tell her story about how she broke up with the Joker. There's a really fun animated sequence at the beginning, and uh, it tells it in like these this uh, piecemeal way in which she tells one part of the story and then she's like, wait, I'm telling it wrong. I have to rewind. And she goes back and then tells about the story of the other people who are involved in the plot. And it's a really fun way of of telling, again, a very simple bare bones plot while keeping us involved and um, compelled and uh, not too bored. I do think that the middle of the film the wind kind of gets taken out of the sails of the story a little and it starts to be a little bit like okay you know this is still happening but um I think it's still a pretty effective way of telling this plot and keeping us you know um invested for the majority of the story what do you think yeah and going back to yeah, going back to what you were saying about how this movie is this movie suicide thinks it is, mm-hmm. is that it does this sort of introductory character with on-screen graphics, but it does it in such a fun way that it is very much like in tone with Harley Quinn as a character because she's narrating all this all, and that sort of, uh, I that sort of on-screen like, this is who this is, this is who that is, what their grievances with Harley is sort of like, it's very it's very it's uh, thematically in line as well as like it shows up like the entire film like every time there's like a new character that Harley has some sort of uh, uh, interaction with prior they always do like and this is why they're mad at Harley and I think that's a really fun way of like uh, introducing people quickly and like kind of making a joke out of it as well as especially when they get to hear McGregor's character and you see like all the different grievances that Harley has that he has against Harley uh, canonically uh, voting for Bernie Sanders, which means that Bernie Sanders is canonically in the DCEU, which is a, a weird thing to think about. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's aside. Like, I think that the movie does its best in sort of trying to introduce all these characters. And luckily, unlike Suicide Squad, they don't have like, I don't know, seven people to, to introduce all with like varying degrees of uh, I'm a man and I'm like a bad guy sort of thing Mm -hmm. which is like what a lot of suicide squad was um and yeah no i think that you know the the non-linearness of it can be a little was a little uh distracting or confusing sometimes uh especially the part where harley gets captured by the bad guys and then cuts to her in the police station like breaking in to find Cassie and before that you didn't even know that she knew Cassandra and then you find out through the flashback or rewind that she was captured by Black Mask and she was told to basically like find Cassandra Kane and the diamond um and that's how she ends up in the in the police station and so it it ends up making a lot of sense and a lot of it's a lot of fun but it's just sort of like moments where you're just like oh well did we skip a, a scene or like what? And then it's revealed that we didn't skip a scene. This is just how the movie is telling its story. And I think on second viewing, I'd probably appreciate it more and see see what's happening. But because I, I didn't know it was going to be sort of a chaotically told movie, even though I should have expected that because it's about it's about Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just sort of like was sort of taken aback in certain moments. But otherwise, like uh, like once once all that sort of uh, like once it became like chronological, it definitely slowed down a little bit, but I also think it was like easier to understand what was happening. Um, and then, and then, yeah. So I think like the, the way the plot is told, I think they're doing their best with like such a, like a, you know, bare bones, like MacGuffin plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This movie really makes up for its bare bones plot with its style. And it's so stylish. Like Kathy Gann, I'm so impressed. I haven't seen her debut film, but uh, wow, she just has such a handle on the style and the flair and just like the the uh, weird twisty mindset of Harley Quinn. And she infuses that like every frame with that mindset so well. And uh, one of my favorite things too is that she is able to take that aesthetic and uh, make it feel seamlessly integrated with the action sequences too. Because one of my biggest complaints with modern superhero movie like action sequences and set pieces is that they often feel very like 
separated and delineated. Like you can tell, especially in a Marvel movie, for example, where they have usually an indie director or a lesser known director taking the reins, that they have them taking, uh, controlling the drama, the drama dialogue driven scenes, and then they have a second unit doing the action sequences, which feel very rote and kind of, and very formulaic. And they have almost like a different look to them. Um, I'm thinking again about Captain Marvel and I'm sorry for bashing on it so much, but Birds of Prey, the style is so seamless between the dialogue scenes and the drama and the action of it. It feels all very integrated and all very just like one film. And I that's what I really loved about uh, Birds of Prey. It's just, it just felt like a cohesive um, movie, a cohesive piece of art that was trying to do something and something weird. And I liked that it like pulled it off. Yeah, I definitely think that this movie, like the like the points taken against it through the plot I think make up, up for it with everything else about this movie mm-hmm. I think the characters are amazing I think the, the, the stylization of the of the way the film is told like just everything everything sort of makes up for what could be said what, what could be called a weak plot mm-hmm. I feel like yeah I would say it's um, a weak plot yeah but I mean like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't unravel the movie just to, like, you just sort of, like, it's one of those, like, it's such a, a dumb cliche, but don't think about it too hard. Yeah. In sort of, like, like I, I hate to use a phrase like that, but it's sort of, like, the one that comes to mind when it comes to a plot like this, which is sort of, like, yeah, they're after a diamond. Like, that happens. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about the plot, essentially. It's about the characters that are that come together. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, let's talk about characters. We've talked a lot about Harley Quinn and her sort of chaoticness of it all so why don't we focus on the birds of prey themselves um and we sort of talked a little bit about huntress um but we haven't talked a lot about um black canary Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on black canary i really like her i think journey does a good job of she doesn't really have much characterization to do she she does she has a little bit um of her introduction when she feels you know a little uh, torn about working for someone who is obviously a mob boss but coming from little money she really has no other option and um, I think that Journey uh, well, I can't remember I can't remember her last name um, she does a good job of um, infusing a little bit of vulnerability and kind of an edge to her character and uh, I think she probably is the least developed of all the, the birds of prey but um, I think Journey just like does a good job of giving her uh, a personality and like um, something that uh, a nice camaraderie too with Harley Quinn, uh, which I really enjoyed throughout the film, especially because she doesn't she like many of the people in this movie don't like Harley Quinn. No one really likes her because right. Harley's kind of an asshole. No. But she has uh, she feels that camaraderie because she's like, oh, we're both women. Like Harley, when she first talks to her, is like, we're both women and we're both you know stooges for all these men and everything. And so she feels compelled to help her when Harley gets uh, almost attacked. And um, in a great sequence where Harley is drunk and she's like, I can take care of myself, and she obviously can't. And uh, right. that's when we see uh, Black Canaries. Uh, Dinah's fight scenes, fight skills as well. So it's it's fun, like that's her reluctance to help, but she can't help but try to help people because you know inherently she is good. But I like kind of like the scrappiness that uh, Journey brings to the character. Yeah, there's like a like a chip on her shoulder, but also there's like a a, a center of vulnerability that she she plays really well. Where it's sort of the 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 she's at first you're just like oh she's like you know, stay away from me. But then, then afterwards, she's like, like nice to yeah. people that she gets she, to know. I think she cares the most out of all of the characters, all of, out of all the birds of prey anyways, because not only does she help Harley, but she also goes out her way to try to help uh, Cassandra because, and the, like Cassandra is kind of the reason that she becomes a mole for the Gotham PD for Rosie Perez's character, uh, Renee Montoya, because uh, she and Cass live in the same building and she sees a little bit of her younger self in Cass, um, a pickpocket living on this, living with like several foster families and not really having a place to belong. And uh, she feels like uh, compelled to help this young girl and say, and reach her before other murderous people including her employer reach her yeah and so i think i think that's great i i i loved i liked her character a lot i think that she had such an interesting like 
arc of going from a character who doesn't really care to to showing that they do care a lot. Um, and uh, what else? Okay. Uh, we, I liked Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress. I think that she was great. She's sort of you could see that she was trying to like put up an act and then you see, you know, that when she's like pretending when she's like in the mirror, trying to psych herself up, that's sort of like a really fun moment and like a vulnerable moment too. Cause you can see that she's like not all put together. Um, and that also that people just keep calling her the crossbow killer, but she wants to be called Huntress. And so like, that's annoying. So it's like a fun pet peeve of hers that she's trying to like get people to get over. Um, and I think that, yeah, we don't see enough of Mary Elizabeth Winstead in media, so it's always fun when she shows up and also with, like, a role that's, like, good enough for her. Um, and so, yeah, and Renee Montoya, uh, I don't know mu- too much about her character, like, in, like, the comics and stuff. I know she's, like, a Gotham PD detective, but she, she is really fun in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she was, like, like I was not, I didn't know how much, like, she was going to be in the film and because I don't know much about DC Comics or the Birds of Prey or, like, any of these characters besides Harley Quinn very much. So, like, it was really fun to see, like, how all these characters are, and I feel like they did a good job of, like, these are strong characters, like, well-developed. And I think that Renee Montoya is a really fun character. She's, like... I I like the way Harley described it, where it's, like, she grew up watching 80s cop films, and so that's how she thinks cops talk, and it's, like, a fun little, like character uh, characterization yeah I like that there's kind of a, a satirical edge to the film as well as like to the characterizations because uh, Renee Montoya almost feels like a, a, a riff off of like those 80s cops and it's also kind of referenced in the show in the movie itself where they're like oh yeah this is like her trying to be all tough as nails but really she just sounds like a, a bad version of 80s cops 80s movie cops and um huntress too who i loved and i think mary elizabeth winstead was a scene stealer in it even though her character was definitely like the most peripheral to the story and to the movie itself i feel like her take on the character was almost a um a satire of the self-serious superhero like batman it felt very much like you know like every character that you see in CW's Arrow who are all like, oh, we're so dark and brooding and we have to save this city. She is, right. very much comes from that vein of superhero, but in she, she she's very out of place in that fun, funky Harley Quinn world. So when she appears, it shows like how much of a socially awkward loser she is. And I love that. I thought that was hilarious. Right, because she's putting on this like, I'm, I'm a cool, like, anti-hero vigilante with a hood and a crossbow i'm wearing all black and like tactical gear and i'm gonna like come fuck your shit up and then in, in the mirror she's like trying to psych, psych herself up about like uh you know well, she's you just talk like, to she's like practicing her her spiel yeah. and it's so funny it's just like uh it feels yeah it feels hilarious it feels almost like yeah like they're um making fun of batman in a way <laughs> right they're making fun of batman they're making fun of like arrow or green Mm -hmm. arrow i guess where he's like you know he wears the hood and he wears like the eye makeup over his eyes and you you just sort of like obviously it's not a direct reference to like batman or green arrow but just sort of that self-serious character character um like including the fact that she has like a traumatic childhood origin story and Uh she like spends spends years in italy trying to like fight and and like uh uh, become like the greatest like fighter and crossbow artist like it's just really it's like a fun like uh deconstruction of a character type like that yeah for sure uh yeah i love that and um yeah renee montoya she is actually a pretty a fairly new character in the dc comics canon she was introduced mostly in the batwoman um comics uh with kate kane she is a sometimes lover of kate kane in the comics and she gets she gets kind of her own spinoff in the dc like police little arc that they get they have a little their own little comic and uh she is um she's well known for being like the first one of the first out lesbian characters in dc comics and i really like that the movie uh pays homage and like makes that really central to her character too with like her um i think she's also the first openly gay character in the dceu if i'm not mistaken um uh yeah i think so yeah so that's a big besides step. like probably besides a, like an ancillary character in wonder woman mm-hmm. 
I think this might be. Yeah, yeah. so that's pretty major. And um, they don't make a big deal out of it either, which is kind of in line with the with the movie's uh, sort of casual feminism. And uh, yeah, you Walsh... don't have... <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you don't have like Warner Brothers touting, we're going to have DC's first... Exclusively gay, gay moment. <laughs> right, like, like, like with uh, Josh Gad and Beauty and the Beast. Like, mm-hmm. they don't... Uh, like they, we we we're seeing that now with uh, I think it's onward, mm-hmm. and they're they're like Lena Waithe is playing a lesbian cop in D- Pixar's Onward, and they're like making a deal of it. Whereas this movie is just like yeah, Renee Montoya she's a lesbian cop, and Ali Wong is her ex, and she's a DA. Isn't this fun? Yeah. And they don't make a deal of it. Like it's like it's just sort of it's just there. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that. I also love the the thorny relationship between her and her ex too. It's kind of fun and it's also part of her her storyline as well in which she tries to get the DA support for something. Um, I can't remember, like a warrant or something. But yeah, it was a, it's it's nice. It's a nice little part of her personality that shines through. And yeah, like you're saying, I love the sort of, the self, like the meta joke about her talking like an 80s cop. And um, she is, you know, she's the fun sort of, she's like the top of a, uh, tough as nails character in this um this group but uh she cares too and um let's talk finally about the last birds of prey member cassandra kane in dc comics she was introduced pretty recently as a a bat girl she was actually a an assassin sent to i think either kill batman or something from the league of assassins and uh uh, gets (laughs) adopted into his large family and becomes the next Batgirl. Uh, They change up her story quite a bit, her origin quite a bit for this, um, for the film. Here she is a pickpocket and uh, a wily sort of streetwise urchin. And her dynamic with Harley Quinn is probably my favorite part of the film. They have a real uh, mentor-mentee relationship because... Uh, which Harley really cherishes because she's always kind of seen as this outcast slash Joker's girl. So being seen as her own person who is someone to be looked up to by a young girl who doesn't really know anything about Gotham. Um, it makes her really excited and happy and they have a, a nice uh, um, relationship that uh, I, is really lovely and sweet. I, I enjoyed that a, a lot of that um, of the film. What did you think of Cassandra Kane, Willoughby? Oh, she's great, and I want to protect her and make sure that she grows up healthily. Like, uh, she was, she's such a, it's such a wonderful character. I, I always love like street urchin children who also have like you know, a a, a good side to them, mm-hmm. and that they just need like a like a fun big sister, big brother to take care of them. In this case, we get Harley Quinn, um, and they it's have like the a best really influence. fun. <laughs> no, but she is an influence, and so. There's that. I I love the scene where they go grocery shopping and then afterwards they come home and like you get to see like you know the the movie sort of like stops and just have have these two characters interact and yeah. have and they see just their hang out relationship. They just hang out for like tw- ten minutes and it's like a fun scene and it's like it doesn't really move the plot but it also like it's just you you see them develop their their relationship that they have and also you get to see the hyena named Bruce um <laughs> it, and it's, and uh, it's a it's like a fun it's also like a fun nod to the fact that i think Harley did have a hyena pet in the comics she had two hyena too. pets that's right mm-hmm. two hyenas um probably if she gets a second one in the sequel it'll be called Wayne uh, <laughs> because Bruce is named after Bruce Wayne um <laughs> And yeah, I think she's great. I love the fact that she's like a pickpocket and that she just doesn't give a shit. So she just like steals anybody's stuff. And then she ends up accidentally stealing the diamond that uh, everybody's after. And Um, swallowing it. And swallowing it because I guess she didn't want to get probably when she was picked up by the cops. I think that's why she swallowed it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because she's been stuffing things down her cast. And I I don't think she could do that with the diamond. Yeah. and yeah, no, she's great. I don't. I've never read any of her her uh, story arcs in the comics, so I'm unfamiliar with her as a Batgirl, as a character. It's a very different um, character. Yeah, that's what I was getting. I was like, this doesn't seem like a Batgirl, mm-hmm. but like I can also see like the 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 journey to that as well um, could be could be made. It's not a, it's not a leap 
it's not too much of a leap to to see her coming because like Jason Todd and all these other guys who become Robin always have like a checkered past where they're like, yeah, we were stealing tires off of cars and now Batman is our dad. So like you can see sort of yeah, uh, dad. Batman do it. Yeah, it's just sort of funny how Batman just is like, I'm a loner and no one can ever get close to me except me. for my and five my children. children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like. Batman, what are you doing? You're a dad. What's going on here? Um, but yeah, I'm unfamiliar with her as a, as, as a comic book character, but as a film character, I, I liked her character a lot. I thought it was fun. She's spunky. Yeah, she is quite spunky. Well, let's talk about the villains of the piece. Um, let's go first with uh, Victor Zaz, played by, played by Chris Messina. Uh, the blonde Chris, the blonde Chris, Chris Messina. Um, well, actually, I want to talk before we go into deep into their single characters. What did you think of their sort of homoerotic dynamic? It was interesting, to say the least. It felt like they were definitely pushing for something to be on screen. But I feel like maybe there was in like the reshoots and stuff that some things fell by the wayside. But like because they were definitely giving each other looks. Yeah. And like holding each other real close like there. It wasn't wasn't not there yeah it felt very um, explicit to me like their heated sort of dynamic um whether it was like love or hate or both it felt like something especially in the way that victor zaz almost worships black mass like he is loyal to being almost like a rabid dog in a way for him and uh very much in love with him yeah and there's one scene where, like, uh, Black Mask, like, uh, Roman is just swanning around in this bathrobe and Victor's just hanging out. And I'm like... Right, it's the morning. <laughs> yeah. They were definitely there overnight. Like, they were definitely hanging out yeah. and, you know, chilling, Netflix and chilling. You know, just uh, uh, five feet, oh, was it, two bros hanging out in a hot tub, five feet apart because they're not gay. Chilling in a hot... Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But, it, but uh, they probably... I don't know. It's never really super made explicit in dialogue, but like I think it, their body language and the way that they are interacting with each other, I think, is definitely implied that either at least uh, they are they are both like gay, but uh, Zaz is in love with uh, Roman, but Roman may not be exactly in love with Zaz. Like it's unclear as to mm-hmm. what their relationship is. But I don't think it, you could look at that and say, these are two straight men. Yes. It was interesting to me because um, it made me think of, uh, I think it was a Twitter thread or something that pointed out how uh, most of Batman's rogues gallery are very queer coded. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was um, interesting. Like I felt like they were playing up that homoerotic subtext quite a bit in a way that felt very in line with the queer coding of Batman's villains. Um, but maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it was just something that was a choice for both Ewan McGregor and Chris Messina, who looked like they were just having a ball, by the way. They were just chewing up all that scenery. Ewan McGregor specifically, he was just like, I don't know what exactly his choices could be described as, but it was uh, it was all... They both- they, they both they both skinny dipped in the river of ham that's they for did. sure they made a meal of this movie and um i think i i liked it they weren't probably they weren't my favorite part of the movie but and sometimes they did feel like almost in a different movie not entirely though they felt very much like in harley's movie but uh yeah yeah so they they I, wouldn't be they're not characters that would exist in batman versus superman but they are characters that would exist probably in suicide squad and definitely birds mm-hmm. of prey no but i liked it i liked how like i think it's probably like the weirdest depiction of a villain that we've seen and i liked how out there it was i um enjoyed too sort of the um especially with the uh, black mask uh, and his sort of hypochondriasm where he would just be grossed out by blood or, or spit or something. Not not by blood, but by spit. And then he'd be like, tear their face off. And Zaz would be like, okay. And uh, yeah. we also see sort of his BDSM art behind him too at some points. There's just a lot of interesting facets to that character, which I liked. Very theatrical and felt very felt like something that uh, Ewan McGregor was uh, enjoying doing. Yeah, it's definitely like Ewan McGregor's campiest role in a long time. It's hard to say probably when the last, like not counting Beauty and the Beast. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to remember last time, like Ewan McGregor was, looked like he was having so much fun on screen. I, yeah, I, and I think that they do a good job, an interesting job of making sure that you 
know that Black Mask and Victor Zaz are they like they mean business in terms of like how dangerous they are as mm-hmm. villains. Like they, um, there are certain scenes that uh, of them like, uh, like yeah, ripping people's faces off, tearing dresses off. Um, in that club scene, which was very uncomfortable to watch, and I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually I really and, like how that scene was filmed. I have to say mm-hmm. because yeah. it was a uh, it was done in a way that was very obviously in the female gaze, and it was all about him exerting power over this woman, and you know making her uh, humiliate herself in front of all like this all these club goers. But it was shot in a way that it focused very much on his face and her face and like that sort of power dynamic, but not on her body, which was like he was making her strip in front of everyone and she like, you know, peed herself. And I really appreciated how that film was, the how that uh, sequence was shot. I, I think Kathy Yen did a great job with it in making it feel like disturbing, um, but not exploitative. Exactly. It's not, it wasn't gratuitous, but it was definitely like, I was squirming in my seat and mm-hmm. it was definitely like the movie was making you squirm in the seat. It wasn't, it, there was no titillation or anything of that. No male gaze in that scene at all. Yeah. Um, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was still very uncomfortable cause it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, so like you, the, the stakes of, of who they are as villains are very, very uh, much explicitly stated, so that you know that these these guys mean mean business when it comes to like uh, how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah, Ewan McGregor does a really great job. I think Chris Messina does does a really great job. Like they are doing like their best with like sort of like these kind of crazy characters, these like fun fun house mirror characters. Um, and yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do it for our characters. And we've touched on a lot of the themes throughout this film. So, um, I, yeah, let's talk about Harley a little. What do you think her arc is through this movie? Emancipation. A fantabulous I emancipation? I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty much like her sort of figuring out who she is as, 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 as a standalone character. And it's sort of like a metatextual like the the character of Harley Quinn was created to be the Joker's girlfriend and like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to see. And like in the in the comics, she's definitely uh, grown as a character and become her own standalone character. But well, she was uh, actually was in the animated series uh, created as just a henchman at first. And then she oh, evolved true. to be uh, his girlfriend. And then she became so popular, she made the jump to the comics and other mediums. And yeah, like you said, she evolved in the comics, but she's still very much in the public uh, pop culture consciousness is Joker's girlfriend. Right, and that's even expl- it's very explicit in Suicide Squad in that way. So like, it was fun to see her uh, as a character and as like a or as like a a metatextual level and also the textual level of like Harley Quinn discovering who she is as a person, and and like by herself. You could say she's stretching her wings. Yes, as a bird <laughs> of prey. Yeah, very much so. Um, And and finding out who she is in relation to these other characters, and you know she doesn't she doesn't magically become like a superhero. She's still like as as she's called in the movie an asshole. And so it's it's like okay for her to be like a, a terrible person, but also still have like an empathetic heart towards others. And like they don't. And I don't forget to mention that she does have a PhD in psychology. Like, she is smart. She's just sort of clinically insane. Yes. Like, she's just sort of wacky. She's, she's you know. Um, and so it's uh, it's always fun when she, like, psychoanalyzes someone, like, on the fly. And it's, it's like, taken as a joke, but also, like, that's, like, for real. Like, so, oh, dang. She just, like, completely, like, undone this one person that she just, like, uh, remarked at. It's it's very fun. Um and yeah, so I think that yeah, the movie itself or is about like about uh, self discovery and and like self discovery of Harley, self discovery of the birds of prey. It's definitely an origin story for this group, um, and like a self discovery of like Black Canary. Like she's she starts out as sort of like the driver and singer at the, at the club, and at the end she becomes a vigilante and like the huntress. Like she. Uh, just you know, she becomes 
she, you know, she, once that, once her, uh, her mission is over, she discovers who she wants to be after, after her mission. Um, yeah. And also Renee Montoya, she like, you know, she's like the cop life is this isn't for me. I, I have to do more. I to, to do more. I have to not be a cop. So I think that there, there's all these lessons of, of like the choices that you make and the, the, and where you want to see yourself in the world. I think that's perfectly said. So with that, let us wrap up our discussion about Birds of Prey and move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, really... Oh, oh. Before we do that, we have to give it a rating. Oh, oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> it's been yeah. a while since we've done one of these. All right, Willoughby, what would you rate Birds of Prey out of five stars? 3.5. Oh, I also gave it a 3.5 out of five stars. So hey. the Millennial Falcon gives... Birds of Prey, a 3.5 out of 5 stars. Now, with oh, yeah. that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Willoughby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like in pop culture? Uh, not so much pop culture, but as, as I am wont to do, I revisited or I visited a film of the past, uh, for the first time. Uh, I watched The Adventures of Tintin, mm. which is, on, which is streaming on Netflix. Uh, this is the first time I've ever watched this movie. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. Wait, it's it your first time? Written... Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's directed by Steven Spielberg. It was written by Stephen Moffat, Joe Cornish, and Edgar Wright, all at different points, I think. Um, and, wow, it's like a British uh, um, power trio and, right there. And also executive produced by Peter Jackson. So like, you got all these all these like uh, chefs in the kitchen with Steven Spielberg doing his like first and only animated movie, uh, and it's sort of it's really fun. I have a great time. I I am unfamiliar with the Tintin like comics and like the the sort of like who Tintin is as a character but like sort of like a base understanding that he's like a reporter he's got like a fun dog and that like he goes on adventures and so this movie is sort of like a it's sort of the Indiana Jones movie that Crystal Skull wishes it was yes uh and it's got all the Steven Spielberg like uh tricks of the trade in animation it's mo-capped uh so like you you know it's it looks like you know they don't have the uncanny valley because like the characters are so stylized that you don't see real humans in them but like because of the motion the motion capture performance uh you 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 see like the emotion in their faces and so i think that is a really fun blend of uh this movie was made in 2011 so like you get like it's more than the animations it's more than like what Robert Zemeckis was doing with motion capture at the time, but it's not as perfected as it is now, I'd say, mm. but it's still like a fun, like it doesn't, it doesn't, it, didn't, it never like threw me off. It was never like unsettling. Um, and I had a really fun time that it was really cool to see Steven Spielberg sort of like off the leash in terms of what his camera can do because it is an animated movie. And so you sort of see like what Steven Spielberg could do, like with a hundred percent of his brain power. Instead of the eight percent of like real life action, yeah, yeah, it's um, like he opened up his uh his potential, his third eye, his third eye, yeah, yeah that's what it is. He's reached Nirvana. <laughs> um, because there's this really amazing extended uh one take, one take scene in which they're like the running train, around right? trying to capture, yeah, they're trying to capture capture like all the different scrolls. There's like a hawk involved. Like it's all like a lot of fun, and plus like Andy Circus plays uh uh. Uh, Captain Haddock, Haddock, Haddock. That's a fish. He plays Captain Haddock, and he brings like a real empathy to that character. And Jamie Bell is Tintin, and he's like a fun, scrappy, you know, do-good reporter who's looking for a story, and it's like fun. It's also cool because he's ginger, so it's like, haha, that's hell yeah, it's me. Um, <laughs> but then also Daniel Craig as the villain is like the that. most I've ever seen Daniel Craig like act before. What about and Knives Out? okay no i i shouldn't say most act but like it is his like vocally his his most performance not mm -hmm. his best performance 
definitely his most performance because I feel like when you watch like Bond and all these like self-serious roles, he's always like, yeah, oh, I'm Daniel Craig, blah, blah, blah. But with this, he's like very boisterous and very loud and, and like not in an annoying way, just sort of like in a way like, I'm like, is that Daniel Craig? Oh, man, that's Daniel Craig. Um, uh, Knives Out and Logan Lucky are like standout performances. But like this is different because he's like playing the villain and he's like sort of like, uh, you know, very much like not who he was at the time when this movie was made um so it was like a fun departure i'd say mm-hmm. uh even though now like i've seen him in logan lucky and uh uh knives out but if if i had watched this movie in 2011 when it came out i probably would have been like holy shit this is the most i've ever seen daniel craig like do something besides be james bond um but now i've seen him obviously do more uh surprising things yeah yeah but overall i had a great time with the movie streaming on netflix uh, and Tintin 2 needs to happen. Tintin yeah. 2 when, Spielberg? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love Tintin. I saw that in theaters, and I was really anticipating it because I was a huge Tintin fan. Uh, my mom gave me a bunch of her old comics because, you know, they were French comics, and she and my dad both read them in French growing up, so she bought me both um, English versions, and she gave me her old French versions too, and I would read both of them. And it's called Tintin in in French, um, and I just love. He's like a, such a good boy. Tintin is. He's just like he just wants to do good with his good dog and his sort of b- bumbling uh, Captain Haddock friend. Um, and uh, yeah. it's it's such a it's such a fun dynamic. And um, I remember the Spielberg movie. I was intrigued by it. I didn't really know how I felt about that motion capture animation, but I think that the style is stylization of it really captures the aesthetic of Tintin and um the it also captures the spirit of it just kind of that swashbuckling um adventure loving nature and I really enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters I haven't seen it since then so maybe I'll check it out on Netflix again yeah I definitely recommend that mm-hmm. um also it came out the same week as War Horse did <laughs> and it's sort of fun to see Spielberg be like yeah I could release some two movies in one year a couple days apart from each other like he's done that several times where like i think jurassic park and schindler's list uh schindler's list came out like in the the same same year year. Mm -hmm. and then uh minority report and the terminal did or no war of the one of the it's either minority report and the terminal or war of the worlds and minority report like one of those or like there was a a span of time in the mid-2000s where steven spielberg was just cranking out movies yeah um he is a man of multitudes and he did that sort of again with the post and ready player one coming out like three months apart from each other yeah one of which was much better than the other um yeah of course ready player one (laughs) but yeah tintin uh speaking of things that we're revisiting I guess for visiting for the first time for you, but revisiting for me, my I really like is Avatar The Last Airbender. We talked <laughs> about this recently. We even did a whole episode about it um, a couple episodes ago. But I received, myself, received for myself a, an Avatar The Last Airbender 15th anniversary steelbook, which is like the fancy steel-encased version of the Blu-ray collection of all three seasons of avatar the last airbender and came with it came a little cardboard uh standee of um zuko and ang of course but i'm holding zuko with me right now my baby boy my honey my son um and i've just been uh I've just been watching and binging through Avatar uh, in preparation for its 15th anniversary, but also because I love this show and I'm so happy to be able to watch it again. I've already gone, uh, I've already like gone through the entire first two seasons uh, within the first week that I got my steelbook, and um, just really excited to have it back in my arms and be able to watch Avatar: Last Airbender, the best animated show, by the way um back in my oh yeah just have it again <laughs> so uh avatar last airbender watch it guys and buy the steel book and buy the steel book uh which is about 92 dollars a little expensive that's too much money no 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 <sighs> buy the blu-ray that came out like two years 
that I bought for like $35. Buy that and then just remark on at HT's like review of the of the steelbook on Slash Film. Yes, you read that. There's also a recent uh, Avatar Last Airbender Legend of Korra Blu-ray collection that was released like a month ago or something. So you can also oh, wow. buy that. Oh, wow. They're just really hitting like all the different, all the different versions. Uh, I know. That's fun. That's exciting. Yeah, Avatar's the best. Soon we'll have the live action version to either uphold or uh, erase from our minds. So hopefully yeah, it'll be wild. good. It's wild that it. It's wild that it took fifteen years to for them to do a do a live action animation, yeah. live action adaptation. Crazy! Of, uh, they Avatar never tried one Bender. before. Surprising you. I know you think they would have tried one at like at least ten years ago. Yeah, but it never happened. You know. <laughs> There's no there there is no war in bossing say. Correct. <laughs> well, if you guys want to talk to us about uh, Birds of Prey, about Tintin, about Avatar Last Airbender, please let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at HTranBui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.